Okay, good evening, everybody. So the shir tonight is called My Mother, Aleha Shalom, and Sameach Lefalka. Okay. So I'll start off by um, talking briefly about my mother, Aleha Shalom, and how it's relevant to the to this topic. So I don't know if I told you guys last time, but um, I don't know if you guys have seen my mother wrote a letter to us soon before, a few years before she passed away, before she was going in for like a life-threatening surgery. Heard about this or not? The happiness one? Yeah, the happiness letter, yeah. So one line she had in the letter was, always thank God for all the good that you have and for all the bad that you don't have. Nothing is a given. Appreciate it all. Okay? And in a sense, I think that expresses in a small way her sentiment, her sense of hakar, of Sameach B'chalka. So I'd like to just elaborate a little bit more just to help you appreciate the significance of her being a Sameach B'chalka. Because there's different people who have different halakim in their lives. And in some sense, I feel like it's easy to be a Sameach B'chalka if your chalak is good. You know? Then, yeah. Okay, sure. You know, happy about that. So, um... So here's what I'll tell I'll read you a quote, or it's not a quote, but I'll tell you something my dad said at his hospital for her. And he says that they went to doctors often. My mother had a lot of illness, yeah. and I'll tell you. So basically, when they went to doctors, oftentimes you go to a doctor, a new doctor, a doctor asks for your medical history. So my mom was like very up on her, on, on the medicine and on her conditions. So he says, he says she basically took her 45 minutes to tell the doctor about her whole medical history. She went through 12 major surgeries, five major illnesses, over 100 procedures, over 200 nights in the hospital. After 45 minutes, the doctor would say, with all of that, you look great. She'd say, I feel great. But my dad said there was like no day for 20 years, the last 20 years of her life, there was no day where she didn't have pain, where she wasn't in pain. But she never complained. Okay, another quote she wrote to me in a different letter she wrote once. She didn't write a lot of letters, but... This is your mom's letter? Yeah. She wrote, Ellie, I know you worry about me. I'm sorry for causing you grief. But don't you see? Underline, I won the lottery. Nobody has everything they want and need. But I have what I want and need most. A family who appreciates Chachamas Torah and lives with that in mind. Okay. So, again, the, the, the point is, is that she had a life which by many standards could be looked at as miserable. But by a hard vantage point, it was great, right? And one more, look, everyone has their difficulties, right? And to me, it's like a model of this idea of Again, I feel like it's, again, I feel like I have a good chaylak. It's easier for me to be happy about my chaylak. But her chaylak, by, again, there were good things about it, there were bad things about it. But she was, and that's, I think, her line, again, what she wrote in this letter, always thank God for all the good that you have and for all the bad that you don't have. Nothing is a given. Appreciate it all. So, so again, one of the things, one, I want to talk a little bit about this midah, about the midah of Smech L'chalka, because I feel like, in some sense, we often think about it and we say, oh, Smech L'chalka, that's important, right? But it's, it's almost like you feel, I feel, some people are Smech L'chalka and other people aren't. Like, but, but do you, what do you do about it? Is, is it just one of these things which you happen to... You know, like uh, you happen to either have that disposition or you don't, or is there some sort of way you could work towards that, right? Is it is it just a disposition, right? Or is it a mida which could be acquired somehow? So maybe different people, like with most midas, 
different people have, you know, naturally are one way or another way. But that doesn't mean we can't move ourselves in any way. So that's, I guess, my question. Is there a insight into us, or is it just one of these things, which is, you know, what you have it or you don't have it? And secondly, I guess I'd like get a little bit more, like, insight into what does it mean, like, who, and we, have this, uh, we always hear this, but who is wealthy? Someone is Mechalko. Like, I don't know. Why isn't someone wealthy who has a billion dollars or a million dollars or, you know? It sounds like something that poor people say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but do we, do we really believe it? You know, or is it just like, it's like a clever thing to say. But like, really? Yeah, that's what Israel, that's the Israel Asher, that's what Asher is. Right? Like, what does that, what does it mean? Who is rich? Someone is like, what's, like, how much does it mean that? Does it really mean that? That's what it really, that's what, that's, is that a definition of wealth? Is that just a clever way to say it's a good idea to be a Smith with Algo? And, you know, sounds good. Right? It's so, like, what's the, um, right? Okay. So, I guess you could start with that. Now, I have like a few different, just for some um, background here. Again, I, I, I think I told you guys, I'm trying to take this letter and write a book out of it. Take up, you know, so this is going to be one chapter. And But I have a few different sources, which I think are related, but they're not explicitly related. I just think in terms of the Svara, they're related. So, Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm not sure how... To, why don't we just talk about this a little bit first? Well, why don't we talk about this first? And then we'll, we'll take it from there, okay? It's, again, my point of giving this year as, as the other one is to help me collect my thoughts to be able to write. So um, I'd like to discuss a few different topics, but why don't we just open it up first? And what, what do you, how, how does one go about being a Samech B'chalga? Is there a trick or is it just like you have it or you don't have it? What's the perspective that one should have? How do we go about doing it? And what does it really mean? So let's leave, hold this question. Got some thoughts, but let's move on to another question, okay? And I'm not sure how to order these either. So this might seem unrelated. Okay, so um, famous Rashi. But when Avram went down to Mitzrayim, maybe someone's heard me talk about this, I don't know. When Avram went down to Mitzrayim, so he said about his wife, Sarah, Right. What? Yeah. Oh, so it says, um, but again, he says, now I know that you're beautiful. So he said, Rashi says, what do you mean, uh, now I know you're beautiful? Didn't he know already he's beautiful? So there's Fyrus Pshatim, right? One shot is that, you know, most people are beautiful. When they go on the road, they end up getting messy or whatever, but she didn't. But the other one says, Pshat is, another Pshat, Pshat is, he says, now I know. I already knew you were beautiful, but now it's time for me to worry about it. Because now we're going to Mitzrayim. That sounds Pshat, right? But then he brings in to the... Um, and he says like this, but then, um, one second. Yeah, but he says that God is that until this point, he didn't recognize her. He didn't recognize her, her beauty because of the tzniyas that they had. And now he recognized that through the some event that he saw her, through this Mesa, right? 
So the question was, how could you say that he didn't recognize her beauty? Of course, he didn't know she was beautiful. The shot is he recognized her beauty. So what, just because, what does that mean? He never, the sneers is such that he didn't even know about his own wife's beauty. Is that like an ideal model to say that you don't even look at your wife and you don't appreciate her beauty? Why should I should do that? Right, so we dealt with this before. Okay, so let's, let's move on. Another question, okay? Another question, maybe we dealt with this also. Getting uh, worried here. But it's okay. No, it's still good. Yeah, I like that. It's a new, it's a new connection. New as connection. Far as okay, good. Okay, so the other one is, it's talking about Anava. Okay, did we talk about that also? No. Anava. Okay, so, so who is the greatest Anav? Moshe. Moshe. Who, who told us that? Moshe. 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 Okay, but I guess God told Moshe right. Moshe Anav only called Moshe Nedama, right? Okay, and then the Mishnah. The last Mishnah in Sota talks about various character traits. Like it says, when the mayor died, there were no longer any people who gave good Mishalim. When Benazai died, people who were like shoked, like I don't know, zealous in their learning. When Zoma died, the Archanum were battle. When Abikiva died, Kavaratoro's battle. Right? And so on and so forth. So it says, Mishameis Rabbi, battle on Nava, Vyarashamai, When Rabbi died, now there's no longer anyone who had a nava, humility, and the state. So, so plain shot. Who wrote this? The Mishnah. Yeah, Rabbi. I guess plain shot is Rabbi, but it's saying is when Rabbi died, there's no longer a nava. So it's funny for him, Rabbi to write that, right? So I think the Rambam and Pirish Mishnah. I didn't see it, but they quoted that. Um, he says that this was written after Rabbi died. Okay, so maybe Rabbi himself didn't write it, but it was put in the Mishnah, right? And isn't there a guy that's like, where are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, then it says, Amar Rav Yosef told the Tana, Lo sisni anava. Don't write anava. Because I am also an anava. Says, Don't say that when Rabbi died, anava was battle, because I am a good enough anava. And the other one says, Nachman says, Don't say you're a state, because it was me. So I hear the you're a state part. But it seems to be bragging about your anava, or I'm not bragging, but you know, saying, no, 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 everyone should know, I'm, uh, it's got, don't forget about me, sounds to be against the spirit of Anava, right? Well, is Anava considered, I mean, not, I guess, whatever the opposite of whatever the word is, is that considered a hate to not be? Hate? I mean, I don't know, it seems like it's a high, it's a, it's a Mida. No, it's I mean, it's Gaiva. a great Mida. Yeah, wouldn't Gaiva be that? Gaiva, 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 yeah, it's Gaiva. It's yeah, in some sense, it's a hate. Yeah, so in some ways, you could say that also when the guy says, "Here's hey, I also have, I have your... Yeah, you could say that. You could say that, but, you know, you could say that, oh, it's in your state. It's, yeah, maybe. Maybe. But this is a much more direct construction. Sure. Yeah. So, I guess our, the question is, what is Anava? How could it be that such great people, the greatest people, ultimately, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Hanasi, Rabbi Yosef, Right, great people are great on oven. They say they are. They say they are, or even to be both. Both the both questions. Oh, why should they be? Why yeah, I mean, you'd think the greatest person is a musician on I understand that. Uh, you know, it's easy again. It's, it's easy for lots of for small people to be on oven, but you think the greater the person is, how you wouldn't think they'd naturally correspond. But the greatest person is the greatest on There's something paradoxical about right, that, especially with like like Moshe Rabbeinu and like like Rebbe, who are like. Who are both like leaders? Yeah, right. How, how, how do you lead and be right? Exactly, the right, right, exactly. They really truly were great. So, what the, like for example, did they think they weren't so great? Like, what is it? What does anava mean? Such that it's reasonable that a person can be so great, but at the same time, kind of you know, be such an anav, be so humble, right? 
Okay. So last store. So last thing I want to take up. So this is again seemingly unrelated, but this is the um, and this is maybe, maybe perhaps famous, but I think it will help help us get some insight. So the Ibn Ezra on jealousy. Okay. So this is in Shemos Chaf Yud Gimel. Okay. So it says like this. Okay, Lo Sachma. Lo Sachma. So um, let's see if we can find it here. The is like this. He says, Many people are wonder about this mitzvah. How could it be that a person is not going to desire something which is beautiful, pleasant in his, in his heart? As long as how could it be that a person is not going to desire in his heart that which is pleasant to his eyes? You see something which is attractive or beautiful, then you're gonna with your eyes. Then aren't you naturally gonna desire it? How are you supposed to do that? Yeah, like I mean, it's like almost yeah, like, right. It's, it's like by the definition, right. you see it's pleasant. Right. So as we're saying, how could it be that the Torah? Or another way to say it is, how could the Torah have an iser on your emotion? Yeah. And saying that you can't act, maybe you can't think, but I mean, it seems like losachmat is a desire, is an emotion, a natural emotion in a person. How is it even possible for the Torah to warrant? To prohibit an emotion, a feeling. You have to legislate our emotions. It doesn't seem within reason, right? They don't be hungry. I mean, don't be hungry. I am hungry. <laughs> right? You couldn't have a mitzvah like that. You could say don't eat, but don't be hungry. It doesn't it just doesn't work, right? So isn't that the same thing? Don't desire. I do desire. What it says to do? Not desire. I always not desire. I do desire, right? So now he explains. Da ki ish kfari If you have a villager who has a good mind. Like a normal, healthy person. And he sees the princess. Beautiful princess. Right? He doesn't desire to sleep with her. Okay, why? He knows it's impossible. As they say, she's out of his league. Right? It's just not, uh, it's, it's unreasonable. Right? Right? And this villager isn't going to think he's like he's a fool. He's not going to desire that he has wings to be able to fly. Right? You don't see a bird and say, oh, I, I desire wings. Yeah, it's it's obvious. You can't have it. Right? And you're not going to desire or fantasize about being able to fly or to sleep with the princess. Like a person doesn't desire to sleep with his mother, even though she's beautiful. Because he knows from his youth that she's awesome. Right? So it's not possible. It's not possible that you're going to sleep with your mother, or that you're going to fly, or that you're going to sleep, marry the princess. Right? So you don't desire. So too, any intelligent person should know. A beautiful woman or money. A person can't acquire it purely based on his chachma and his das. But what Hashem, of course, of course, he's to him. A person sometimes doesn't work for it, and Hashem gives it to him. 
the things which are out of our control, we don't have ultimate control over money, wealth, these things. Your parents were. A person's, I'll say a person's children, their, their longevity, their money. It's not dependent upon a person's chas, but it's in a person's muscle. There are many factors, like Mark says, I think Rabba and Rav Yosef, they're both great men of equal caliber, and one of them died at 40, the other died at 90. It's not within our control. These are things which are out of our control. So therefore, because of this, an intelligent person won't desire, won't be desirous or, you know, desirous, desirous, I don't translate this to words, covetous and desirous, once he knows that Hashem prohibited your friend, your friend's wife to you, he recognizes that Hashem prohibits his She's even more distant in his mind than the princess is for the villager, because the villager, in theory, could convince the princess to want to be with him. She'll become a more important person. Something right, but here she's also. Well, one is she's married to this guy, and that's it. She's also, and there's nothing you do. Al Kane, who Yismach Bechalko, so therefore he'll be Samach and his Chayachelach. The Lo Yosim El Libo Lachmod Ulis Avos Davarshin Shalom. And he's not going to put in his heart to desire, to covet and desire something which is not his. Ki Yadash Hashem Lo Atzalasalo, because he knows that Hashem doesn't want to give it to him. Lo Yichol Akachto, Bikocho, Machshos, Vitavol, Tapulosov, and he can't just take it. With his strength, with his thoughts, with his machinations, Hakin Yivtach Bivoro. He should rather he should put his trust in his Creator. She'll Chakalenu Biaset that he will take care of him and he'll do that which is good in his own eyes. Okay, that's it. So what's his uh, what's his point? What's his point? Could someone want to um, you know? Oops. Summarize or you know his point. So let me get. Let me, let me try to talk a little bit here. I mean, you guys are all saying good things. See, I'm trying to figure out how many different ideas there are here. There's one idea, or two ideas, or three ideas. I know. So let me just start in one place. Start with one idea and um, see if it's if they're different or separate. But so one idea is I really love a marshal. I once heard from Rabbi, and I feel like it's uh, pertinent. Maybe it was about that another thing. I, maybe I've quoted this before. But the idea of the false peaks. Speaks. Yeah, hiking. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like the idea of, uh, yeah. I want to draw it actually. I don't know if someone who could draw it could make a good picture. That would be nice. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So the idea that you've heard the martial art now. I think so. Yeah, so imagine like you have again a guy's hiking. Yeah, right. A guy's like hiking a mountain and you got one guy in the bottom and another guy on the top. And the guy on the bottom looks up at the guy on top. He says, wow, look how high that guy is, right? But then, right, I'm not going to get that. He's so much higher than me, right? Now, when the guy gets the top, he pulls himself over the top, and he's mommish at the top, and then he looks up, and he sees there are all these, it's a false peak, and he sees that there's mountains and mountains and mountains higher, right? And the guy on the bottom doesn't know that. The guy on the bottom thinks that the top is where Mr. Two is, right? But the guy at number two looks up, and he realizes that he's like on 1% of the way up to the real top, right? He's leading so, the real Right. So the, so the question is, who really feels higher right who feels closer to the top right the guy in the bottom or the guy on the top of the first peak you know the guy in the bottom because the guy in the bottom he sees that guy he thinks he's what 100 guys 100 feet out from whatever but he's almost there whatever right so he thinks that guy's high but he's almost there right 
but he doesn't know about those, those other peaks up, 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 right? It's the guy who gets to that first peak and he looks up and he sees the peaks and peaks and peaks and peaks. He's the one who really realizes that, yes, he's a tiny bit higher than the other guy, but ultimately, in a bigger picture, he's really not even close to the top, right? And that was the muscle is like, we think that we are, yes, Moshe Rabbeinu is greater than us, but whatever, we're like kind of, we're, we're close to him, you know, so to speak, or whatever, within human range, right? But Moshe Rabbeinu gets, the more knowledge a person gets, the more he sees all those peaks up on top, right? And the more he realizes, like what becomes important, see here, here I guess, maybe say it like this, is that, see, we live, and this is the key point, is that we live in a relative frame. Our measuring rod is human beings, is the people around us. In third grade, we want to be the best kid at playing soccer in third grade. The best in our grade. Well, what do we know about everything else in the right and everyone else in the world? We always we live within our circle. We want to be the coolest kid in our high school class. We want to be the richest guy on our block. We want to be like we our measuring rod ultimately is the social sphere in which we find ourselves. And we're always in competition. We think about ourselves and our, our metric of success or of happiness or of anything is how we rank compared to other people. And that's like Ashiras. Ashiras typically means, like how much money does it mean to be wealthy? Is there a number? Or does it just mean it's more than the other guys around? Right? That's usually what it means. Right? There's, right? You take that guy who's an Ashir and then you move into another town and then all of a sudden he's not an Ashir anymore. Well, in a second. And then what changed? Right, so it's like the changes is because the the definition of ashiras in in a typical way we normally relate to it is relative to other people who we're comparing ourselves to. But in a certain sense, that's fake, isn't it? It's a shame that a guy could be so wealthy and then he just happens to move into another town, or another guy happens to move into him. Nothing happened. All of a sudden, now he's not an ashir. So it's like the whole thing is fleeting. What is what is that? Right. But that, this is the world we live in. And this is the way our emotions, our emotions live in a relative comparative world. And that's the way we're measuring ourselves. And we feel like we're great because we're greater than certain people around us, right? And then there's another guy who comes and he really irks us and whatever. And hopefully he goes out of the picture or whatever the case is. And we can get to feel good again, and, you know? But it's always like our measuring rod is the relative of other people. And as long as that's the case, we we're, we feel like we're close to the top, or we're, we're approaching the top as much as we could. That's our path, you know. But the more knowledge a person gets, the more he sees how small, he sees true knowledge. Like, let's say Moshe Rabbeinu, he sees ultimate knowledge, he sees knowledge of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and he sees how distant man is. Man is a small creature. What's real to him. Is a Kodesh Baruch Hu, is the Midas Kodesh Baruch Hu, the world which Kodesh Baruch Hu created, the Torah that Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us, and he sees how small he is. How he's like a little child, if you will, who's trying to. Some quote from uh, Newton Einstein, something about that. The implement which we have is like a weak tool, a crude tool of being able to approach ultimate reality. And the more you get, the more you know, the more you know you don't know, the more how small you realize that you are. And therefore, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu is up on the top of the human peak. But he sees vistas that no human see. So it's the people who are less than him feel 
are less anavim than him. They're more gaiva than him. But it's, it's because it's like the great, the higher you get, the more you see the bigger picture. And that humbles you. So there is, in a certain sense, there is a inverse proportion of a person's greatness and that they're not. And Rebbe had a good, he had a raya, and of course his raya from some, maybe it's a gemara, I think, God. But he says, like, um, Avram, David says, I'm like a work, not a person. And Avram, you know, who's greater than David, says that I'm I'm dust and ashes, which is even less than a worm. And then Moshe and Aaron, who are even greater, they said, what are we? We're nothing. So it's like the, the higher, the more you, the, the higher you rise up, the more you see ultimate reality. And the more you read, like an example, is like, you don't take pride that you're smarter than all the, if you're, if you're a fifth grade teacher, you don't take pride that you're smarter than all the kids in your class. It's like, it doesn't, you realize they're just fifth graders. Of course I'm smarter than them. And like, what, they're not my measuring rod. Like, well, who are they, what are they? You know, so it's like the more, like maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like that. Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to necessarily take pride that he's greater than all the people around him, than right. all the subjects. They're right. just people. And they're not of ultimate, they don't ultimately matter. So in that sense, so in that sense of saying is like, Rebbe or Rev Yosef could say, he could assess, I'm a greater honor than, than Rebbe Yonasi, or I'm, I'm on par with that. And it, it's not a contradiction. Because the, see, the, the, the Havamina is, is like a novel is based upon some sort of relative social rankings. And if you're saying I'm the greatest, I'm the biggest Anna, then that's like almost directly contradictory to Anava. But insofar as you recognize Anava has to do with like an appreciation of a Kadesh Baruch Hu, yeah, sense of a Kadesh Baruch Hu, of the ultimate reality and how that impacts your psyche. And, and he's saying, it's like, I have this impact. I have that sense. I have this, the sense of self which corresponds to my knowledge that makes me feel like I'm on of, and I feel like I'm on par with that of Rabbi Now, I don't feel like I'm great. Ultimately, ultimately, I'm not great. I'm just saying compared to these other people around, I see I'm a big honor. But that's not a contradiction to his sense of Anava because it doesn't make him feel great because he's greater than other earthlings, so to speak, or other lowly right, creatures, because he sees that in the ultimate sphere, that's what ultimately what matters to him. And that's that's what that's what's like. Um, that's why I think, like the the Rebbe said this also. It's like the king. It says he carries out an extra sefer Torah, the guilty room of the so he doesn't feel haughty over his brother. So that's the idea. So he keeps his mind focused. How's he not supposed to feel haughty because he's carrying the Torah all the time? He's thinking about all the time. And the moment he forgets about that Torah, all of a sudden he's gonna feel haughty because then he forgets. He the, the world around him says he's the king, literally, right? And he feels greater. He is greater than everybody in that world. So he has to carry on the Torah to keep him grounded in the ultimate reality. And that's the ma'akev of his life. Yeah. Question. Uh, so I think it's true. To get the anava, you need knowledge. And you have to... The, I feel like there's a, there's a boat back and forth. But the, it doesn't automatically happen with knowledge. I feel like you have to gain the knowledge and then you have to reflect on yourself and gain knowledge and reflect on yourself. There's like a back and forth, I feel like. Part, but part of knowledge is you know, gaining perspective on yourself. So a person could gain a lot of facts and information, but not be moved by it and feel all haughty. So it's not just pieces of information. It has to penetrate the soul and the personality to allow you to look back at the self. And there's like a, there's a back and a forth and a back and a forth, you know? Yeah, right. You go to the opposite extreme, right? There is an idea of a person who feels too haughty 
is not going to be able to get an Arba. And sometimes you have the opposite extreme in order to break down your sense of self. And yeah, I mean, there's other things involved, but I don't know if it's one-to-one with knowledge, but the, the peaks, the highest level, it's like the, maybe your knowledge sets like a max, the highest level you can get. But it doesn't mean you can't have other blockers, you know, obstacles, which will prevent you from being able to, you know, reach, reach on out. What's the question? For example, you probably know, you, you've probably experienced this, I hope, is that um, as you, when you start, maybe around, usually people reach their peak of um, intelligence at about 18 years old or something like that, 18 or 19. And then they start realizing that they don't know as much as they knew when they were 18 or 19. Seen this experience? Like, again, like yeah, there's people yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. that type of cockiness where the person knows everything. Right. And then usually, hopefully, uh, with, with the person gaining more knowledge, they start realizing that they thought they had everything figured out. But they start realizing that the world is more complex than they really thought it was. And they, they don't quite know everything in the same way they used to think that they did. And they say, you know, there's a humbling, there's a humbling, you probably get see it in your own life, is that there's a humbling which happens through knowledge. Knowledge humbles you and you, you know, you gain a little bit of knowledge makes you arrogant. And then a little bit more knowledge kind of puts you back in your place. Yeah, okay, so now, now here's the thing. So now, there's a humorous thing from, um... so now I think like, now here's what I'm trying to think of. And I'm trying to like, I think there might be two ideas flying with three. There's a guy on here. So let's talk now a little bit about Samarpachalka. So, I feel like in some sense, in some sense, a person, so like a person might judge their happiness. This is, I guess, I'm, I'm trying to paint this picture of like there's a way to live, like in a relative perspective and an objective perspective, an absolute perspective. And a relative perspective, it's like you're always measuring yourself. You're judging yourself, measuring yourself in every facet of your life to other people. So you might say, look, I'm sick and other people are healthy. Oh, that could defeat a person. Right? Or, I'm, or in the positive. No, either way. Right? And, and it's like in a certain sense, they always, they look, we live in this relative sense and our, our happiness or our sadness, our sense of success or wealth or anything like that is always compared to other people. And in that framework, a person is never going to feel rich because there's always someone who's richer and always someone who's got better things and whatever. You're never going to have everything. I mean, I guess you get to the top and then, I don't know, then you have the most money and then you realize someone else has more or something else, Absolutely. you know, family or whatever. There's always other things that you can have. So that the idea of measuring yourself against other people is like making a mistake of like uh, viewing them as your reality. As opposed to looking at that's one, it's like related to this on other point, but it's like it's it's the idea is like there's your reality is your reality, and what you have isn't any more or any less based upon what other people have, right? Whether they have more or they have less. The question is, what do you have, and what is there to appreciate about what you have, and what are your challenges, and what are your you know. I love the things that you have, and there's what to appreciate in your in your in your life. And there is a lot of tov in this world. And a person is, but there's challenges. There's challenges. There's a, there's a, but this this is your chelak. And that's the idea. It's like this is your chelak, and live with it, and embrace it, and appreciate it, and rise to the challenges, and 
you know, deal with the, the benefits that you have and work on your whatever it is. And there's no, and I feel like the person who's not a Sameach B'chalko is a, because a person is, who's, who's caught in this relative comparative sense, sphere. And they can't be happy because they're, they're judging their happiness, not based on an objective assessment of what they have and of their chilek, but based upon a comparison of the other person's chilek. And that's kind of like the Losachmod. It's like a person that would be happy, but then they see the other guy's wife and she's beautiful. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, that could be mine or that should be mine. Or they have like a, a almost like a mistake. Like, yeah, like, I guess most, most players, like, then there's points. Like a person's not wishing I have wings because obviously I don't have any wings. Well, obviously that's not your wife. That's his wife. But somehow we have this sense that other people's realities could be or should be ours. We don't recognize the idea of like lines. And just like I can't have the princess and I can't have wings, I also can't have my other, my friend's wife. But my reality is my wife or whether I'm single, whatever the case is. And that's your world, and that's the world you have to live in. And you might see other things out there, but what's well, your realm of possibility should be based upon an objective assessment of the chilek which Hashem gave you, and you should strive for those things. But the idea is like something which somebody else has is in your is in your sphere, is in your chilek. And like we kind of there's almost I don't know, I'm not sure that see I feel like there's another idea here, but there's another what, there's some reason we we don't draw that line. But we kind of look at what other people have as like my possibility. And maybe because we live in this relative world, in this competitive world, it's like when we see other people's things, it's like we think of those as as options instead of acknowledging this is this is the world which I have. My options are the options in my sphere. And that's somebody else's world. That's not my world. My world is the world that Jacobi gave me. And I have my own challenges and my own great good things which I have, bad things which I have and challenges or whatever. And that's your chilek, and that's your sphere of the chira, and that's what you have to live in. And you kind of sometimes you you get lost and make, instead of pursuing objectively what's your world and what you could attain and what you should keep your eye focused on, you jump into other people's world and you measure yourself based upon those other realities which aren't yours. But it's like we get caught up in this relativistic framework in which those things become challenges and, you know, painful to us. Let me just talk so about the uh, Avram point. So again, it's just to tie it back to Avram. So, so this is the point, uh, just remind us of that shot, is that again, Avram did, it's true he knew his wife was beautiful, but he enjoyed her beauty as his wife and looked at her as his wife and he enjoyed her and that's fine. That's a normal thing to do. But he wasn't involved in that trophy wife phenomenon. She was the most beautiful woman out there. But he never compared her to other people because that that enjoyment is again it's getting into the relative comparative type of framework. Say I'm going to enjoy my wife because she's more beautiful than the next guy's wife. What does the next guy have anything to do with it? You enjoy her for you enjoy looking at her, then great. Then that's so that's all that matters. What does it help to have somebody else who is or isn't or whatever? He never noticed that. He never looked at that. He never ranked her about where she ranks on the scales of beautiful. It didn't matter to him. It wasn't relevant. He lived in his world, in right. his phalic. But when you you could do that up until a point when you're going to Mitzrayim and you it becomes relevant. How beautiful is she? 
is there a threat to my life? If she's more beautiful than other people, I got to know about that because I'm going to have to lie and say she's my sister and all that because they're going to kill me. So it's like he, he was forced to look at her in a relativistic type of a frame and to realize, wow, you're more beautiful than everyone else. Now I know that you're that beautiful. So it's like it became, it, it became relevant to him and he, therefore he had to look at her in that way. Maybe he had to look at other women and he had to kind of measure her in that framework. So he may have always known that she was beautiful and enjoyed it, but not in that type of way. And that's like the, their, their, their beauty, her beauty, and his appreciation of beauty was like a private matter between them. And it didn't involve anyone else. And it wasn't involved in looking at anyone else, showing off anything else. It was just personal and private. But he knew that, that he had to broaden his horizon because it might involve risk that then, which it did. What is that? Right, okay, let, let me just let me just finish off quickly with the bit talk about my mom again. Okay, so let me just read you about the things I told you about it originally and see if it fits or if we get some more insight or so again she said, Always thank God for all the good that you have and for the bad that you don't have. Nothing is a given. Appreciate it all. So I think that's kind of saying it's like she's looking she had again major challenges, health challenges, but she looked able to look at what she had. But she didn't have, and there was a lot to appreciate it. She didn't take it as an assumption that she was whatever, and she didn't, she had difficulties, but she didn't look at her difficulties. She looked at what she did have. And I think what she means, like, and the good, bad that you don't have. She often quipped, not often, but she said a few times, like, look, I don't have cancer. You know, like, she had five major illnesses, but cancer wasn't one of them, and she lived till 57 years old, and, you know, people get cancer and die, whatever. But that's like a funny way to look at things, you yeah. know? It's like, worst case. Yeah, it's like, okay, it's true, you could have got cancer. But she like, that was like a way, you know? Yeah, she's got terrible illnesses, so many of them, but like, whatever. There are people who just die, people just drop dead, and whatever. She's happy, she has a good life, she, you know? And again, she had pain all, all the time, for years, no, never complaining. And this is when she said, Again, I know you worry about me. I'm sorry for causing you grief. But don't you see I won the lottery? That's like the Samachalka. Nobody has everything they want and need. But I have what I want and need most. The family appreciates Chachmas Torah and lives with that in mind. So yeah, that's sort of makes sense. It's like nobody has everything. It's just like there's different people, different challenges in life. And this is, you know, she was able to focus on what she did have and value that and not be taken down by those other things, which... She didn't have, and again, there's. But I think part of the thing was to look at what you do have, and don't don't worry about other people. You now, think there is there are is good, and most people there is a chelak. Again, if your chelak is all and all and all terrible, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to be smechachalka. What are you happy about? Your life, mamish, like your life would be over or something. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like there is such a thing as like having nothing. I mean, my mother did have a lot of bracha in her life. But it's like a type of bracha that I think people who, many people would lose the forest for the trees and would, wouldn't notice the bracha because they'd be right. in pain. Constant pain for 20 years and all, you know, always all these things. It's like, a, it's normal to do that, to get overwhelmed and to whatever, but she never let it define her life. She was able to keep her positivity and to think about it, okay, like, and think about what, you know, and not to start comparing it to other people or anything, you know? So I feel like these are like, I don't know, I think oh, there's, it's a combination. Again, I, I'm trying to figure out the two ideas or one idea, but there's one one part of it is the humility. And the another part is this idea of like the relativistic, again, living in your world and acknowledging this is your chela. And we imagine that other people's chalakim could be ours, but that's what they're noticing. It's like no dumber than a person imagining you could have wings. Like that's not your world and that's not your reality. And this is your reality and enjoy it and live it 
take its challenges, take its benefits and, you know, keep your focus on that. And I think with us in life, that's the case. Again, we interact with a lot of people and there are people who are better than us at certain things and less than us at other things. And if we define ourselves by this comparative realm, I think we set ourselves up for a lot of frustration because there's always going to be, there's always going to be someone who's going to be better than us and whatever it happens to be, smarter than us, richer than us, funnier than us better looking than us or whatever and it's like you get caught in this rat race if you will and that's always going to be frustrating but you have to be able to step outside of that and just kind of live what you have whatever it doesn't matter ultimately it's just saying it doesn't matter what the other person have what does it have to do with you that's i think the thing let's say it like sense like azu ashir what does it mean to be an ashir to be richer than x than who what, and then you, when do you ever get there? There's always people, you're always somewhere on the scale. There's a big scale and you're always somewhere in the middle. So what does that mean you're an Ashi? Ultimately, you're saying it's a state of mind. They're feeling that, what is the Ashi looking for? He's looking for a certain happiness with what he has. So if you got a billion dollars and you still feel like you want two billion, then what does that do for you? So you got more than some people. And you're just you're somewhere else on the big scale or whatever. What is that even? Who cares? What's the point? Ultimately, isn't it because you want to have a certain feeling? much easier to get that feeling by working on yourself than by trying to get more and more money because you'll never get it. You just kind of move. You're just moving relatively different, you know, your relatives change, but ultimately what really changes. So ultimately what's significant is that shiras ultimately is the state where you have what you need. So you you may have what you need with a little, or you may have what you need with a lot, or, you know, 